0: Lord God, we thank you so much for saving us, for your Holy Spirit regenerating us as believers, for meeting us in our dire and terrible need and bringing us into your family as adopted sons and daughters, and for creating us anew unto good works. Lord, we thank you for your salvation, but we also recognize, our Lord, that Our salvation has already happened, but it is still yet to come in another sense. It is already, but it is not yet. Our final full salvation out of the old age will happen at the future time when you return to gather your children home and when we receive our glorified bodies. Lord, we can't imagine uh, how stunning and what a great thing that will be. Lord, as we live in the in-between time in between our initial salvation and our final and full salvation you have given us your word you have outlined and described and revealed to us reality in fact the reality of our life in this fallen world And now, Lord, as we open your word together this morning and look at a passage that is just so profoundly important as a description of life in the in-between time, we pray for your Holy Spirit's help, for your blessing, for your power, for attention for us as as we listen to your word. Uh, Lord, transform us, even in this hour, through the hearing and the preaching and the doing later on of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, from Matthew chapter 4 all the way through uh, Matthew chapter 13, Jesus had been preaching that the kingdom of heaven was now at hand. And in those chapters, he had been making every effort to describe the shape of the now present kingdom. And so we have these nine chapters or so near the start of Matthew's gospel where Jesus proclaims the kingdom and where he details its contours. And he does that in a variety of ways and in a variety of settings throughout these chapters. By the time we come to Matthew chapter 13, a question had no doubt arisen in the minds of those who had heard Jesus preach the imminence and the presence of the kingdom. The question was something like this. If the kingdom of heaven is indeed present in this Jesus of Nazareth, then why are the Romans still subjugating us? If the kingdom of heaven has indeed arrived, then why don't we see its overt triumph over evil? Why is evil still a present reality in our society if the kingdom of heaven is at hand, as Jesus says it is? Well, it's an answer to those sorts of questions that Jesus gives his parable of the wheat and the weeds. The wheat and the weeds. In Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30. Let's take time to read that parable together. We'll read it straight through. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn." Now I want us to concentrate our attention on just a few things in this parable. The parable begins with this man sowing good seed into his field, but then during the night when people are fast asleep, the man's enemy comes along and sows weeds. The enemy distributes plenty of weeds across the entire field. The enemy commits this act of bioterrorism. Now commentators are in basic agreement here, it's interesting, that the type of weed in question, judging by the Greek term that is used in the text, the type of weed is a species that looks very much like wheat as it begins to grow. This weed has a sort of counterfeit appearance, looking like wheat. But when this this weed is sown close to wheat plants, what happens is its roots entangle with the wheat roots, making it impossible to pull the weed without also pulling out the wheat plant. And so we have this trouble across the whole field. The enemy has scattered these weed seeds everywhere. Well, by and by, what happens, according to the parable, is that both the good seed, the wheat, and the bad seed, the weeds, begin to grow. And the servants in the man's house then recognize the growing weeds, and so they go with a question to their master. The question is, they say, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And then the master of the house confirms that an enemy has sown the weeds, and then What I want us to focus on is what the servants then ask the master. At the end of verse 28, the servants ask, Do you want us to go and gather the weeds, master? Master, we have a strategy that we can implement right now to eradicate the weeds in the field. Just just say the word, And we will go and we will execute that strategy. Do take note of the fact that what the servants propose here is nothing less than an extermination of the weeds, an extermination that they will carry out today. No more waiting. Let's get this extermination of the weeds rolling right now. Notice that the servants are not asking, who do you want to employ to do this job, master? It's not a question of who, because they already assume that they will be the ones to do the job. Nor is it a question of what kind of strategy The master would like to employ in order to get rid of the weeds. The servants apparently already have that part figured out also. No, their question focuses more on the when aspect. The when aspect. Do you want us to go now and gather the weeds, master? We're ready to do it now, today, immediately. Just say the word. Well, of course, we get the master's answer to all this in verses 29 and 30. The master's answer is a firm no. He says to the servants, no, no, don't go now and execute your plan. Why? Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together Until, notice that word, until when? The harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned and gather the wheat into my barn. Now, we're reading along in this story that Jesus, this parable that he's giving, and right here we might want to say What sort of farming practice is this? Uh, Letting large amounts of weeds sit in your field until harvest is maybe not the best way to run a farm. So from the standpoint of realism, this command of the master here is perhaps a little unrealistic. But remember, friends, that we are reading a parable and when Jesus throws in these more puzzling elements into his parables, our ears should perk up because it's often in the puzzling elements of the parables where lots of meaning is located. The master wants both the wheat plants, and the weed plants to continue growing together. The master wants the servants, listen, wants the servants to exercise forbearance where the weeds are concerned. The master knows that the servants want to go out today and sort out this mess. But he also knows that in sorting it out like they want to do, they will end up making a much greater mess as they pull out wheat with the weeds. Back to the when question. When will the weeds be sorted out and dealt with? When? At harvest time, says the master, and not before harvest time. And it wasn't time yet for harvest. Harvest would come later on down the road. There would be no separating wheat from weeds prior to the time. Of harvest, What was the servant's job right now? The servant's job right now before the harvest was simply to exercise patience. The servants were to wait, to wait. And when the harvest time did arrive, we notice very carefully in verse 30, when it did arrive, these servants would end up on the sidelines. The job of separating wheat from weeds would be, listen, it would be commanded by the master and it would be carried out by another group called the reapers. At harvest time, I will tell the reapers Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Pulling weeds and separating weeds from wheat would be a job reserved for the master and the reapers. It seems there's a pretty clear implication here that the servants, listen, the servants are not capable of doing the sorting that they think they are capable of. Their job is to wait and be patient. The job of separating weeds and wheat is left to the master and his reapers, the servants, will sit on the sidelines. Now, we are helped in this chapter of Matthew by verses 36 through 43, a little further down, where Jesus gives the very clear interpretation of this parable. He gives the interpretation. He tells us there that he, the Son of Man, he is the one who sows good seed in the field. It's Jesus. And he tells us that the good seed are Christians. The good seed are the sons and daughters of the kingdom. And the field in which Christians are sown, the field is the world, according to verse 38. Note that very carefully. The field is the world. So many times, this parable of the wheat and the weeds is used in connection with the church. You may have heard people over the years limiting the language of wheat and tares to the church. But Jesus says explicitly in verse 38 that the field in question, where the wheat and the weeds are growing together, the field is the world The field is the entire globe. The field here is not limited to the church. Yes, we have wheat and tares within the church, but it's not here limited to the church. Well, who's the enemy in the parable who comes along and sows the weeds? Well, the enemy, says Jesus in verse 39, is none other than the devil, And the weeds that the devil sows throughout the field, that he sows throughout the world, are people. Verse 38. The bad seed that is sown across the field, across the world, are the sons of the evil one. And Jesus says in his interpretation that the harvest is the end of the age. The harvest happens at the end of time as we know it. The wheat and weeds, or the sons and daughters of the kingdom and the sons and daughters of the evil one, they will not be sorted out and separated from one another, finally, until the end of the age. And in that final sorting action, Jesus will employ his reapers, who he says are angels. The reapers are angels. Now, looping back to what we said was a live question in the minds of Jesus' original audience by the time Matthew 13 rolls around, the question was, If the kingdom is indeed present now, as Jesus says it is, then why is evil still apparent and still operational in the world? Jesus lays out reality in this parable, he lays out reality. The reality is this, that for now, in this time before the the end-of-the-age harvest, wheat and weeds will grow up intermingled with one another in this world. Wheat and weeds will grow alongside one another in this world. This is the reality. And listen carefully it is not our role as mortal human beings to go out now in the immediate on a mission to destroy the weeds. In fact, we are not capable of doing so. We will do more damage to God's world We will do more damage to his field in our lame attempts to eradicate the weeds than we can possibly imagine. We are incapable of sorting wheat from weeds. For one thing, friends, is it not true that each one of us, think only of yourself right now, is it not true that each one of us has weediness, weediness, Inside of us, along with what is hopefully some wheatiness. Even if we're believers, we still struggle with inclinations to sin, and we will struggle that way until our bodies are glorified. So, do any of us weak, frail, mortal sinners dare to grab our sickle and go out into the field of the world on the task of separating wheat from weeds on our own timetable, even as our own internal weeds have not been eradicated? Do we dare to do that? Does any one of us dare to engage the harvest prior to God's appointed time? I suppose the question for us is this Are we content in Christ to wait, to patiently, calmly take the long view? and abide in this fallen, broken world with its weeds waiting for his harvest. Are we okay to wait? The new religion of ideological social justice, the new identity politics game, is an attempt by mortal human beings to prematurely sort wheat from weeds. Now, in this time, prior to God's appointed harvest. In the words of Joshua Mitchell, quote, I'm going to read this a couple times because there's lots here, he says, quote, Impatient with impurity and ambiguity, because those things confirm that there are no quick opioid-like fixes to free us from the sober world as it is. Identity politics tries to separate the wheat from the tares before the harvest, close quote. One more time, Mitchell says, Impatient with impurity and ambiguity because those things confirm that there are no quick opioid-like fixes to free us from the sober world as it is. Identity politics tries to separate the wheat from the tares before the harvest." Or in the words of Scott David Allen, "...believing in no ultimate judge who will separate the sheep from the goats, social justice ideologues take it upon themselves to mete out perfect justice." They believe that every moral grievance must be immediately redressed until we have perfected society. Close quote. Coming out of its Marxist background that we have discussed in a previous sermon, this new religion of ideological social justice is godless at its core. And being godless, it has no vision, no vision of an end-time judgment where the master and his reapers will sort out wheat from weeds. And so the thought in ideological social justice is, why not do the sorting now in the immediate Ideological social justice goes ahead and in what I would call bewildering hubris, it deems, it deems that certain things, certain groups are weeds. It deems them as evil and it will root them out and sort them out now, immediately without the help of Jesus and his reapers who it does not believe in. We see this sort of hubris in a speech that Hollywood actress Anne Hathaway made three years ago at an awards banquet. In her speech, Hathaway proceeded to tearfully decry whiteness, and she proceeded to bash heterosexual males. And then she announced the program that she thought should be immediately implemented. She said this. It's a quote from Anne Hathaway. She said, Let's tear this world apart and build a better one. In other words, it's up to us. We have the self-assigned mandate of destroying what we deem to be weeds so that we can plant a better field. And we will do it all while ignoring the God that we don't believe in. Well, friends, that sort of thing, and this is an understatement, that sort of thing is a grave miscalculation To say the very least, To, to assume that we as human beings have the ability to purify the field ahead of the harvest is a wrong-headed, proud, incredibly dangerous assumption. We don't have that ability, nor do we have that mandate. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is the question, can anything, listen to the question, let's think about this, can anything or anyone within the present world write the world? Can anything or anyone within the world write the world? And the answer is no. That job of writing the world is God's at the harvest. And if we try to jump ahead of God, if we try to ignore God as we assume the role of sorting weeds in the immediate from the wheat, it's only going to cause, listen, tremendous, profound damage in the field, in the world. King Jesus tells us so. The sorting of wheat from weeds is delayed until the harvest, and this delay is by the order of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And of course, friends, as we think about this further, our Lord has impeccable wisdom, wisdom in delaying the harvest like he is. For one thing, he is doing what? He is exercising, in this current time, he is exercising patience so that people have time to repent and to turn to him. 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Amen? This time of delay, this time prior to the sorting of the weed from the wheats, this is a time where God is extending his mercy and his forgiveness. And also consider this as well. Because our existence in this time prior to his harvest is characterized, as it is, characterized by this intermingling of wheat and weeds. The sons of daughters of the kingdom, sons and daughters of the kingdom, intermingled in our day-to-day life with the sons and the daughters of the evil one. does this not provide opportunity for us? as believers right now to love our enemies as we are commanded to do? Does does it not give us ample time right now as we wait to love and serve that difficult neighbor of ours as we are commanded to do? Does his delay in the harvest not grant us time to serve With grace and love within the broken field. There is wisdom in the field owner delaying his harvest as he is. I, I really like what Colin Smith says here when he says this Jesus' parable reminds us that even weeds play their part in God's purpose. How can you love your enemies, Smith says, if there are no enemies to love? How can we reconcile our differences if there are no differences to reconcile? How can we overcome our fears if there are no fears to overcome? How can we know the comfort of God if we have never shed tears? Yes. Yes, there is wisdom in our current situation of weeds intermingled and mixed with wheat. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Last Sunday, we drew attention to a portion of Augustine's monumental work, The City of God, that he wrote in the 5th century. The city of God was Augustine's great philosophy of history, his great philosophy of history. In that work, Augustine argued that ever since the rebellion of Adam and Eve, ever since Genesis chapter 3, he said, and I'm quoting him here, two cities have been formed by two loves. Two cities have been formed by two loves. The earthly city by love of self, even to the contempt of God, and the heavenly city, by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. Close quote. The two cities, the earthly city, or the city of man, and the heavenly city, or the city of God, have existed together on this planet since the fall of Adam and Eve. They have both existed throughout the course of history, and the two cities, the city of man and the city of God, are intermingled with one another. They are interlaced with one another. The two are often indistinguishable from one another, difficult to tell apart, yet they lead to two very different destinations in the end. Augustine's two cities is very reminiscent of Jesus' parable of the wheat and the weeds. The born-again, truly regenerate believer in Jesus Christ has his or her citizenship in the city of God. And as James Smith has said, quote, It is precisely our citizenship in the heavenly city that guides our co-mingling with the earthly city. It is our pilgrimage toward the heavenly city in all its fullness that helps us navigate the terrain of a fallen but redeemed creation. My believing friend, You and I are living in the delay before the harvest. We are of the city of God, intermingling every hour with the city of man. How shall we occupy ourselves? Well, may we occupy ourselves in this time with at least the following. Let me give you some practical things That you can do as you occupy this time before the harvest. Pray without ceasing. Pray for souls in danger of hell that they would come to know Jesus Christ, who shed blood on the cross, is the only eternal rescue given in this time of delay. Pray for your unbelieving neighbor by name that he or she would not perish eternally but rather would come to repentance and to new life in our crucified and resurrected King, Jesus. And when the time is right, do do proactively share the gospel with your neighbor. And pray for your own soul that it not be burdened by self-righteousness and pride and other sins. That Pray that a fresh desire in you for the treasure named Jesus would percolate and would blossom afresh. Pray that you would be freshly zealous for good works, in the name of Jesus Christ, and do pray for patience. Pray for patience in this time before harvest. Pray for forbearance. Pray for compassion. Pray for discernment and protection as you live, as you work, as you play during this delay. Pray down the strength of God even as you serve him and as you serve your neighbor. And if you're a person watching this who's not yet a believer, not a follower of King Jesus, I plead with you today, by the authority of Scripture, to turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. See that his blood shed on the cross, his death on the cross, is the payment for your sin against God that Jesus died there as your substitute to atone for your sin receive him as your crucified and risen king your savior and the lord of your life Jesus boldly and truthfully said this of himself he said i am the way and the truth and the life no one doesn't matter who you are no one comes to the father except through Me, he said. Your relationship with the Father God is only going to happen through the Son, the crucified and risen Son, Jesus Christ. The simple promise to you, my searching friend, is the promise of Romans 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth today, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from your sin and the bondage that is attached to it. Saved from the devil's shackles. Saved from the wrath of God that is coming upon the weeds at the harvest. Saved as wheat to bear fruit in God's field. Turn to Jesus, my friend, who is the Lord of the harvest. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for these (laughs) dirt-simple parables that Jesus gave, but yet are so packed with profound spiritual depth and meaning and practical juice for us in our lives. Lord, you give two directions, wheat or weeds, sheep or goats. Lord, give us the wisdom to tell our neighbors the truth of Jesus, the truth of the gospel, that they may turn to him and be saved. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.